Welcome to the Truth Hurts Program. Opinions expressed here are protected free speech under the First Amendment to the United States Constitution. We apologize if you are offended, but we retract nothing. I'm Steve Z. Let's get started. Good morning, everybody. It is Wednesday, hump day, January 27th, 2021. This is the Truth Hurts Program. My name is Steve Z, and today I want to talk about things that are on my mind. And since the First Amendment still allows me to do this program, I guess we'll just have to go ahead and get started. Mm, liberal media control your mind, they do. Let them, you should not. Listen to the Truth Hurts program with Steve Z, you should. Out of Washington, D.C., a group of Republican lawmakers has introduced an amendment Monday that would set term limits on all members of Congress. It's about damn time. The amendment is being led in the House by South Carolina Representative Ralph Norman and in the Senate side by Senator Ted Cruz. The legislation would limit members of the House to serve three two-year terms, and senators would be limited to two six-year terms. In a statement, Ted Cruz said, quote, the rise of political careerism in today's Congress, unquote, is not what the founders intended. In a Twitter announcement, Ted Cruz wrote, today, my colleagues and I reintroduced a constitutional amendment to impose term limits on members of Congress. The amendment would limit U.S. Senators to two six-year terms and members of the U.S. House of Representatives to three two-year terms. The statement says, every year Congress spends billions of dollars on giveaways for the well-connected. Washington insiders get taxpayer money and members of Congress get reelected, all while the system fails the American people. Representative Norman said it is wrong for people to make a long-term career out of holding elected office. He wrote in a Facebook post, What we need are people who serve in Congress for a sensible period of time and then are required to get out. Because with each passing year, the allure of Washington makes it easier and easier to lose sight of your district back home. Term limits ought to apply to every single person serving in Congress, including me, said the Post. It's just wrong that someone could make a long-term career out of elected office, especially on the federal level. Some have defended lifelong politicians by saying, we need those folks because they know the system and they keep things running. That's bunk. That's why I've proposed a constitutional amendment. H.J. Resolution 12 that would limit the number of terms someone could serve in the House or Senate. It's also why I've said from the beginning that I'd only serve for a reasonable amount of time in the House before term limiting myself voluntarily. We can obviously debate how many terms are, quote, reasonable, unquote. After all, it does take a couple of years just to get your feet wet, so to speak. But the bottom line is that serving in the House and the Senate should be a temporary privilege, not a career choice. Will this constitutional amendment go anywhere? Are most politicians really going to vote themselves out of a job down the road? Perhaps not. But that doesn't mean we should not try this from his Facebook page. 
Meanwhile, a federal judge has blocked gropey Joe Biden's 100-day moratorium on deportations of illegal aliens. Good for you, judge, whoever you are. Let's see what it says. A federal judge on Tuesday has temporarily blocked President Biden's attempt to put a moratorium on deportations for 100 days. After the state of Texas sued over the policy, the judge blocked gropey Joe via a temporary restraining order, and he can't do anything for a minimum of 14 days. Texas's lawsuit claims that the administration would be violating an agreement it has with the Department of Homeland Security, and that that would require at least 180 days notice as well as consultation prior to implementing changes in immigration policy. It is unclear whether those terms are enforceable, but similar agreements were struck with several other states in the previous administration under President Donald Trump. The U.S. District Judge implemented a nationwide injunction because geographically limited orders would not adequately protect Texas's interests due to the free flow of movement of illegal aliens from other states. Over the weekend, Fox News reported that an email sent last week to ICE officers called for stopping all removals and to release them undocumented immigrants immediately. <laughs> Biden has pledged to move forward with a moratorium on deportations as his administration resets its approach towards U.S. immigration following the change from Donald Trump's more stringent enforcement of immigration law. Non-citizens who have engaged in or are suspected to have engaged in terrorism and espionage can still be deported. The moratorium, which took effect on Friday, also does not apply to persons who were not physically present in the United States as of November 1st, 2020. The Biden administration was planning to announce further guidance, most likely to allow more and more and more illegal immigrants to come on into the country, but now that's all been put on hold. Thank you, Judge. There's an article out this morning on The Hill. A reporter named Alexander Bolton wrote a piece saying, Senate GOP boxes itself in on impeachment. I'll read the part of this article to you because it's kind of important. The outcome of former President Trump's second impeachment trial has been largely determined after 45 Republican senators voted in support of a resolution declaring it unconstitutional and the impeachment of a private citizen illegal. The vote boxes in the overwhelming majority of the Senate Republican conference into supporting Trump's acquittal on a single article of impeachment before the House managers and Trump's lawyers have even filed their pre-trial briefs. Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, one of only a handful of GOP senators actively considering whether to vote to convict Trump on Tuesday, said it's now hard to imagine there will be anything close to the 67 votes needed to convict Donald Trump on the one charge of inciting a riot at the Capitol. She said, whether or not we're going to see members change their mind after they've already taken a vote, I think it's hard for people to do because people are like, wait, 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 you voted to say this is not constitutional and now you're changing your mind? We don't get a lot of credit and we don't get a lot of allowance to change our mind around here. 
That's why I think it was a little unfortunate that we had this very spontaneous vote on an extraordinarily significant matter without the considered debate and brief and analysis. People had to make really quick decisions, she said. Murkowski, Republican in name only, voted with only four other Republican senators, Rhino Susan Collins of Maine, Turncoat Mitt Romney of Utah, and never really been a Republican, Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania, as well as Ben Sass of Nebraska, which really, I thought Ben Sass was a good guy. When I worked in Nebraska, he seemed like a really good guy, but apparently he is a turncoat Republican in name only, never Trumper. And those five people voted to table the motion, declaring the trial unconstitutional. You see, 67 senators, or two-thirds of the Senate, present in the chamber, must vote for the article of impeachment in order to convict the former president. Murkowski said she and her colleagues were caught flat-footed by this key procedural vote. She said she was not aware until Tuesday morning that she would be voting on Rand Paul's motion later in the day. She said, I just think about everybody was quite surprised to be in a position to actually take not only a public position, but a vote on this today. And so I think there were a lot that were perhaps not as prepared. I don't feel I am prepared as I wanted. The question deserved more considered review by us, the Senate. Collins told reporters on Tuesday afternoon, I think it's pretty obvious from the vote today that it is an extraordinarily unlikely event that the president will be convicted. Just do the math. You see, Rand Paul offered the motion, declaring victory after the vote, even though 55 senators, including five Republicans, voted to table his argument that the proceeding itself is unconstitutional. Rand Paul said, it shows the impeachment is dead on arrival. If you voted that it was unconstitutional, how in the world would you ever vote to convict somebody for this? 45 of us, almost the entire caucus, voted that the whole proceeding was unconstitutional, so this is a big victory for us. The vote indicates it's over. Paul added that he last spoke to Trump about a week ago, but not about this. His motion stated that as of noon last Wednesday, Donald Trump holds none of the positions listed in the Constitution. He is a private citizen. Therefore, the trial violates the Constitution. And Rand Paul knows his law. His motion also asserted that Chief Justice John Roberts' absence from the proceeding demonstrates that this is not the trial of a president, but of a private citizen. Daryl West is a director of governance studies at the Brookings Institution, and he said Tuesday's vote largely predetermined the outcome of the trial before it even got started. He said, it's a procedural motion, but it's got a proxy for the real thing. That result does not look very promising for Democrats. If that many Republicans feel the trial is unconstitutional, they're unlikely to convict on the substance. Mr. West compared the vote to a prosecutor getting an adverse summary judgment from nearly half of a jury before even having a chance to present opening arguments. He said, no prosecutor would want to create that type of opportunity, so Rand Paul was smart enough to be able to exploit that. The battle lines clearly are drawn, and it looks like there could be a majority vote to convict, but not two-thirds. 
Other experts say Trump's acquittal by the Senate is now a certain outcome. Ross Baker is a political science professor at Rutgers University. He served several stints as a Senate fellow. He says, it points very decisively to an acquittal, and I don't see any pickups in terms of people willing to find Trump guilty. Senate Republicans held a lunch meeting immediately before that vote, at which they heard a lengthy presentation from George Washington University law professor Jonathan Turley about how and why the impeachment trial is unconstitutional. Murkowski said afterwards it was only the in-depth presentation that she and many of her colleagues heard about the constitutionality of the trial before voting on that very question, even though there are conflicting academic opinions on the subject. She said, we knew this issue was going to be one that was raised in the trial. There was a desire and a design to, hey, let's hear it from some of the constitutional scholars. And so he was invited, but it was then not just hearing the perspective of one constitutional scholar. It's, hey, we got a vote on this in less than an hour here. So she lamented that Turley's was the only opinion that was heard prior to the vote. She says, we only heard one side. It's the only side you need to worry about, lady. Romney was the only Republican at Tuesday's lunch to stand up and push back against Turley's arguments, according to Senator Kevin Kramer of North Dakota, who attended the meeting. Of course, Romney is a sour grapes. I never got to actually run a real race as a Republican. I was rejected and still am rejected everywhere I go. Kind of Republican in name only. Nobody likes you, Mitt Romney. How the hell do you keep getting reelected? I don't understand it. You're a turncoat. You're a traitor. You're a Benedict Arnold. You are a Judas. Sorry. Senator Collins asked for some clarification of Turley's arguments, though. And her comments were not seen by colleagues as directly pushing back on the law professor. Collins later told reporters that she determined the trial should move forward after taking a great deal of time to consult with constitutional scholars and legal experts. She said, I spend a great deal of time talking to constitutional scholars and other legal experts and concluded that the text of the Constitution, the purpose of the provisions, and the Senate precedent all said the trial should go forward, especially since the House acted while the President was still in office. If you remember, folks, the House rammed the impeachment articles through without a single statement being read, a single witness being called, or a single piece of evidence being brought forward. Collins, you too are a traitorous, turncoat, Benedict Arnold, Republican in name only, absolute disgrace. Other potential Republican swing votes said they found the lunchtime presentation, quote, compelling, unquote. Senator Joni Ernst, barely a Republican from Iowa, said, I think there was a lot of agreement. It was a compelling argument, and we're pursuing a private citizen when perhaps there could be a criminal indictment rather than Congress. Really? You'd rather get Donald Trump on criminal charges? Oh, bring it. Senator Jerry Moran, Republican of Kansas, said he found the presentation interesting and useful, 
but added that he has not yet concluded on how to vote on the article of impeachment itself. Senate Republican Policy Committee Chairman Roy Blunt told reporters on Tuesday that Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell invited Turley to give the presentation to GOP senators immediately before the key vote. Perhaps Mitch McConnell is starting to see the error of his previous ways and understands the real power of Trump's supporters on his future as a U.S. Senator. Dead on arrival, boys and girls. Trump will have beaten impeachment again. We'll do a little rapid fire now. Marco Rubio has once again submitted an amendment to the Constitution to block court packing. He says, quote, Packing the Supreme Court is a radical left-wing idea that would further undermine America's confidence in our institutions and our democracy. If Biden is sincere about healing our country, he will support this effort to protect the Supreme Court. Marco Rubio is a wise man when it comes to these types of decisions and statements. Now you know and I know that this will likely go nowhere with the Hamilton Harris being there to decide any ties in the Senate, but at least it's a smart move by Rubio to send a strong message to the country that we do not want court packing, and also that what's good for the goose may later be good for the gander when the Republicans take over the Congress, hopefully in 2022, and hopefully a Republican in the White House in 2024. In other news, gropey Joe Biden, catering to the environmental wacky crowd, says he will replace the entire federal fleet with electric vehicles. Gropey Joe announced an ambitious plan of replacing the entire fleet of automobiles owned by the federal government with electric vehicles as his administration takes steps to cater to people like AOC and the Green New Deal. And he pledged that these new vehicles will be made in the U.S. Biden said during remarks as he signed an executive order that he entitled Made in America. Ooh, that's original. The federal government also owns an enormous fleet of vehicles which will go to place clean electric vehicles made right here in America by American workers. Let me translate that for you. The federal government also owns an enormous fleet of vehicles which we're going to replace with clean electric vehicles made right here in America by American workers. Union workers. He needs to kiss the union's ass again after screwing American unions, causing the immediate loss of at least one million American jobs with his executive orders that stopped all drilling in federal waters, including the Alaska Wildlife Refuge and the Gulf of Mexico, where most of our offshore petroleum products come from 
and by killing the Keystone Pipeline construction jobs, many of which were union. Of course, Biden says this will create a million auto worker jobs. Sure it will, Gropey Joe. Sure it will. I hope you sleep at night well telling yourself those lies. Some facts are the federal government owns 645,000 vehicles, according to the 2019 General Services Administration report. More than 225,000 of those belong to the U.S. Postal Service, and 170,000 belong to military agencies. Currently, only 4,475 are electric. Now, of course, Gropey Joe makes these statements, but he does not give a timeline for when his massive vehicle replacement goal would be implemented. Shares of U.S.-based electric vehicle companies spiked on Tuesday just after Gropey Joe's announcement. Lordstown Motors traded 20% higher and Workhorse Group traded nearly 30% higher. Biden's so-called Made in America executive order was signed on Monday and it aims to fulfill a campaign pandering promise to increase the amount of federal spending that goes to American companies. Biden's push towards electric vehicles is in line with the environmental goals and policies that he campaigned on. Remember, he rejoined the International Paris Climate Agreement on his first day in office, and that's going to cost us all a pretty penny in the long run. This is the Truth Hurts Program. The highest paid federal employee in the United States of America should be the President of the United States, right? That's a $400,000 per year job. And unlike Donald Trump, who refused to take his salary for four years while he served the country as its president, mopey, dopey, little girl, gropey Joe Biden will be taking every penny of his salary. After all, he's a multimillionaire. He's 78, and he needs that money, right? But he's not the highest paid federal employee. Guess who is? Dr. Anthony Fauci! Dr. Fauci in 2019 as a federal employee, made over $419,000 a year and is on par to make even more. Fauci is a very wealthy man and you and I continue to pay his salary. You know, Fauci, the guy who said, don't wear a mask. There's no sense in anyone just walking around in public wearing a mask. Masks should be reserved for sick people, for healthcare workers. Then he changed his tune and said, everybody needs to wear a mask. You remember, we've done many programs on this guy. Well, now, Dr. Fauci, who in my opinion must have a hell of a lot of money invested in mask manufacturing company stocks, is urging Americans to double up. That's right. Don't just wear a mask, wear two masks. Actually, Dr. Anthony Fauci says wearing a double layer of masks likely does help protect against the new COVID-19 strains. You guys might recall last year when I mentioned the fact that this is not going to end. And I actually did a little commercial parody talking about COVID-19, COVID-20, and now COVID-21 coming to a lockdown near you. It's true. They're not satisfied with having COVID-19. After all, we're in 2021. 
Fauci's words came as the B.1.1.7 variant, a modified strain, a more transmissible strain of the COVID virus, was first detected in UK towards the end of last year, is now confirmed in more than 20 states. That's right, boys and girls, you don't just need COVID-19. You can now have COVID-19-B.1.1.7. It's more transmissible, can get you sicker quicker, and if you wear double masks, Dr. Fauci says you just might be protected. He spoke on the Today Show on NBC, and he said, quote, This, talking about the mask, is a physical covering to prevent droplets and virus from entering the body. You put another layer on it, it just makes common sense that it would likely be more effective. That's the reason why you see people either double masking or doing a double version of an N95. Fauci is now the chief medical advisor to President Gropy Joe. Isn't it amazing? They all stick together and once they get their digs into Washington, D.C., especially in the political arena, they just don't know when to quit. The country's seven-day average of daily new cases has dropped since earlier in the month after reaching a record 254,862 reported new cases on January 11th, according to data from Worldometer. Fauci warned, we don't want to get complacent and think, oh, things are going in the right direction. We could pull back a bit. We do have circulating in this country a variant from the UK that's in over 20 states right now. This is a variant that has a better capability of being transmitted more efficiently from person to person. If this variant becomes dominant, we're going to be faced with another challenge of a virus that has more efficient capability of spreading. The number of vaccines that we've gotten into the arms of people is a good start. We want to keep going, but I don't think the dynamics that we're seeing right now with the plateauing is significantly influenced by the vaccine yet. It will be soon. He made those remarks when he was asked whether the recent drop in cases could mark the beginning of the end of the pandemic, or could at least be a sign that the worst is behind us. Fauci said, it's the recent drop in cases, just a natural peaking and then plateauing and coming back down. The B117 variant has been identified in 24 states, according to Monday's CDC report, most recently found in Washington state, where those maskless marauders are running around rioting and looting and burning and nothing's being done about it. Fauci told Newsweek at the end of last month that all the vital safety measures health officials have been talking about all along should continue to be followed in order to mitigate any mutation that would help the virus spread more easily. He told Newsweek, Wearing masks, keeping distances, avoiding congregate settings, doing things outdoors more than indoors, washing your hands frequently, those are the things that stop any virus, regardless of whether it mutates or not. Funny, Dr. Anthony Fauci. Those are the same exact words you said when you were serving under Donald Trump. So there really is no difference to the way we're doing things under gropey Joe Biden, is there? 
Worldwide, the virus has now supposedly infected over 100 million people, including over 25 million in the U.S., since it was first reported in Wuhan, China in 2019. Supposedly, 2 million people have died worldwide, and 55 million have recovered as of Wednesday, according to Johns Hopkins University. Now, let me do some math here. I'm going to read this to you again so you can understand. More than 100 million people have been infected. 2 million have died. So that leaves 98 million. And 55 million have recovered. So you're saying that 43 million people are currently running around with the coronavirus? That's what your number said. You said 100 million people worldwide minus 2 million who died, that would be 98 million. And if 55 million have recovered, that leaves 43 million people walking around with the coronavirus right now. Okay. Now you might recall that back in January 8th, I told you that Dr. Fauci came on television and told Americans to wear the mask for, quote, at least 100 days into the Joe Biden presidency. Unquote. That proves, of course, that this is politically motivated. Why didn't he say you need to wear a mask until March 30th or you need to wear a mask until May 15th? Give a date at least that many. He chose the words for at least 100 days after Joe Biden is inaugurated as president. Written in Newsweek magazine, the article starts out, Dr. Anthony Fauci, the U.S.'s top infectious disease specialist, has suggested that Americans could wear masks for at least 100 days after Joe Biden is inaugurated as president. The director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases made the comments in response to a question about what the Biden administration can do in its first days in order to tackle the spread of the virus. Fauci told NPR that the new administration will also, quote, likely put a lot of effort into accelerating the rollout of the vaccine program. Well, that was BS from the beginning because Trump had already accelerated a rollout. It was under the Trump administration that the vaccine was developed, tested, approved, and began distribution. It was under Trump's presidency. Anything that Biden does now is just riding the coattails of Donald Trump's administration of the White House Coronavirus Task Force under Donald Trump, headed up by Mike Pence, and a little bit of support from people like Fauci and Burks and other experts. Fauci said, We want to get it to one million vaccinations per day, as the president-elect has mentioned back then. The idea about having everyone for at least 100 days at least wear a mask Everyone uniformly so we don't have disparities where some people are adhering to public health measures and others are not. He was simply pandering to Gropey Joe so he could keep his $419,000 a year government job. Back in December, Gropey Joe said he planned on issuing a standing order requiring Americans to wear masks in federal buildings and on interstate transport for at least the first hundred days of his administration. And then Joe Biden and his family took their masks off and walked around the Lincoln Memorial and had photographs and interviews with reporters without a mask. 
the very same day that he issued a standing order requiring Americans to wear masks in federal buildings. So maybe he's not an American? Who knows? He's got some pretty shady dealings going on with the Ukraine and China, after all. He's done some pretty traitorous things. Biden told CNN, On the first day I'm inaugurated, I'm going to ask the public for 100 days of masks. Just 100 days of masks. Not forever, just 100 days. I think we'll see a significant reduction in new cases. Really? Fauci told NPR we could see a greater interaction and cooperation between the federal government and the states in the early stages of the Biden presidency instead of, quote, allowing them to do their own thing in some respects. Highly, highly politically motivated that Anthony Fauci is. Politics and your health. We'll be right back. Don't let the leftist media control your thoughts. Let Steve Z do it on the Truth Hurts program. Well, we don't want to control your thoughts. We just would like to give you our point of view so that you can understand why things are happening and how things are happening. Hey, I want to kick it back for just a moment to the impeachment trial of Donald Trump. Citizen Donald Trump. Former president, no longer president, Donald Trump. Chief Justice John Roberts made a decision to sidestep the upcoming impeachment trial. And that was met with some criticism, but little surprise amongst court watchers, who've long noted his desire to shield the court from unnecessary exposure to political fray. Roberts was constitutionally required to preside over the Senate trial last year when Trump stood accused of bribing Ukraine's president to investigate Gropey Joe ahead of the 2020 election. And remember, Trump was acquitted by the Senate. That duty was one that Roberts appeared to discharge with reluctance, though perhaps owing to his presence for insulating himself and fellow justices from political glare, he went on in there and did his job. One veteran Supreme Court advocate told The Hill back then, Roberts had figured out how to look the part and play the part, even though he did not want the part. This time around, however, Roberts apparently believes the Constitution has let him off the hook. Chief Justice Roberts knows that since Trump will be a private citizen when he's tried for allegedly inciting the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol, many agree that Roberts is under no legal obligation to wield the gavel when those proceedings begin the week of February 8th. You see, the founders of our country made it clear when an impeachment trial concerns a sitting president, the chief justice shall preside. But you see, the founders did not explicitly prescribe the same role when those supposed alleged crimes in question are carried out by a former president. He shouldn't be there. Now here's the strange bit. The duty of presiding over this shall fall to Senator Patrick Leahy of Vermont, the most senior member of the Senate Democrat Conference. The president pro tem was sworn in to preside over the trial on Tuesday. Well, he's Democrat. He's biased. He voted to impeach Trump last time. 
This is obviously a dog and pony show. It's obviously a kangaroo court. This is obviously a banana republic attempt to keep Donald Trump from running in 2024 and once again having the arduous task of making America great again. Constitution says the Chief Justice presides for a sitting president. It was up to John Roberts whether he wanted to preside with a president who's no longer sitting. Speaking about Trump, this according to Chuckles the Clown Schumer, he says John Roberts doesn't want to. Now Schumer's office did not respond when asked about his exchange with the Chief Justice, and a spokesman for the Supreme Court did not respond to requests for comments on Roberts' thought processes in deciding against participating in the trial. Substituting Roberts with Leahy has, of course, stirred controversy. It rang bells in my head just now when I read it. Republicans argued that Roberts' absence undermines the legitimacy of the trial and that it's inappropriate for a sitting Democratic senator to also serve as the presiding officer. My question is, does this negate Leahy's vote if the trial moves forward? Rand Paul said, if the Chief Justice doesn't preside, I think it's an illegitimate hearing. And it really goes to show that it's not really constitutional to impeach someone who's not the president. Other Senate Republicans say Leahy's role as the presiding officer presents an inherent conflict of interest. After all, they say, Leahy is expected to cast a vote in Trump's upcoming trial. And last February, he did vote to convict Trump on two articles of impeachment related to Trump's dealing with Ukrainian officials. It should have been gropey Joe Biden up there because he admitted to those illegal dealings with Ukrainian officials. Republican Senator John Cornyn of Texas is a member of the Judiciary Committee. He says having a Democrat preside over the um, upcoming trial really undermines the legitimacy and that the process itself already looks like a railroad job. Leahy has vowed to administer, quote, impartial justice, unquote. Of course, like any slimy Democrat, he said that his role as presiding officer would be procedural rather than substantive. And that role would closely mirror the one Roberts took during Trump's first impeachment trial. Roberts injected himself at various points into the first time to maintain decorum and soothe tempers. But aside from a few uncomfortable moments, his role was mainly ceremonial. But it's irrelevant. You see, I know how Democrats are. They allow themselves all kinds of time to bluster on and bloviate. And then they cut off Republicans whenever Republicans have something substantial to contribute. Many legal experts have expressed disappointment in Justice Roberts, saying his absence has given ammo to the Republicans who sought to taint the proceedings even before they'd begun. Steve Z and the Truth Hurts Program. Gropey Joe Biden has spent the last few weeks trying to blame Donald Trump for not having a plan for the Wuhan China novel coronavirus of 2019. He's blamed Trump for not getting enough needles into enough arms in the country and said that President Trump should have done much, much more. Of course, so far, Biden has done very little differently than what Trump and the White House Coronavirus Task Force under Mike Pence has done all along. Criticism of Biden was, you don't have a plan. What is your plan? And if you do have a plan, it obviously lacks ambition because we don't know about it. So Gropey Joe has made a pledge that there will be sufficient vaccines 
for 300 million Americans by the end of summer. And this supposedly now represents a bold and politically risky response to the criticism that his pandemic plan lacked ambition. Effectively, the president is putting a date of return on a semblance of return to normal life with no guarantee whatsoever that he can deliver. Now, if he does succeed, Tuesday might be remembered as a turning point in the pandemic. If he falls short, which he likely will, whatever little credibility he has as a new president will seriously take a hit. And it will only prolong the crisis into another fall and another winter and continue to hamper his other programs on key issues. In a show of presidential power, just six days into his term, Biden sought to galvanize the action of federal, state, and local governments into a kind of unified national effort that had been lacking, according to him, during this once-in-a-century crisis. Biden said on Tuesday after announcing the purchase of 200 million additional vaccine doses and a hike in distribution plans to states, quote, To a nation waiting for action, let me be clear on this point. Helps on the way. To a nation waiting for action, let me be clearest on this point. Help is on the way, Gropey Joe said. In some ways, his feeble pledge includes some political sleight of hand, since it will not get vaccine supply anywhere near the levels demanded by the states in any short-term time frame. And Biden has to admit the deaths could hit half a million by next month under his administration. The announcement was both administrative and political. It offered a rare morale boost after a year of lockdowns, social distancing, separated families, sickness, death, and his own prediction of the darkest, coldest days of the grimmest winter in years. Steve Z of the Truth Hurts Program. Now, as I predicted, and is now actually coming true, as I predicted, the federal government is now ready to start opening things up because Biden's in office. Yes, the deer are going to come out on your front lawn. Butterflies will land on their noses. Polar bears will come out of hibernation and sit around in a circle and have a Coke and a smile. And we'll all sing Kumbaya. Yeah, right. The current plan that is in place, especially in those Democrat cities that were locked down under Trump's administration, but not locked down by Trump, will soon be opening wholesale. Cruise lines and restaurants and venues will be opening. There are capacity now to plan ahead. And Biden's actions are designed to not only combat the pandemic, but to inject a sense of urgency in reopening the economy immediately. Well, if that's the case, then why do we need another stimulus? Just open the doors. Let these businesses get back to normal. Let them pay their employees. Let them pay taxes. Let people go eat, drink, and be merry. Let the roller coasters open. Let the concert halls open. That's all you need to do. You cannot have it both ways, Gropey Joe. You're saying we need a multi-trillion dollar 
stimulus program when all you need to do is admit that this flu is like any other flu, maybe a little worse, and open the damned country. We need to open the schools immediately. School closures have not only severely hampered the education of an entire generation of young people, those school closures have complicated the lives of parents who struggle to work if they can't access childcare because all the childcare centers were closed. The prospect, of course, of returning to class irritates teachers' unions, a very strong force in the Democrat Party, because those teachers like working from home. They like not having to get up and do their life at home and then go to school and teach their children and then go back home to their life. They like being home. And they'll use any excuse they can. Oh, those little nose miners, they might be bringing COVID to my classroom and I don't want to get it. That's great. It's what you signed up for, teachers. Kids come to school sick all the time. You think all the teachers quit? When polio was running around? I don't think so. And you really have to love how gropey Joe Biden is now taking credit for simply asking those vaccine manufacturers to ramp up production. The same challenges, the same logistical challenges that existed only a month ago, meaning you can only work 24 hours a day with your existing production equipment, they're still there. But because Gropey Joe said, I don't want to increase production, then we're supposed to suddenly be happy? The new White House coronavirus coordinator, Jeffrey Zintz, said that distribution to the states will likely increase by 16% in the coming weeks, although that's just the number he pulled out of his ass. It will, of course, become clear whether those calculations are accurate within the next few days. And even with the 16% increase, vaccine distribution will fall massively short of the number that states have begged Joe Biden to provide. There's been no comment on Biden's announcement of the purchase of more than 200 million more doses by Pfizer and Moderna. No comment. I think they're going, holy crap, how are we going to make 200 million more doses? We didn't build a new plant. We don't have any more space, and we can only make so much. Of course, Biden has to clean up his messaging, right? His announcement on Tuesday represented some political triage, given the messy and sometimes conflicting messages about targets he has supposedly set and his lies about the vaccine supplies that were made recently by the president and his staff, who were likely scratching their head going, Gropey Joe said, what? How are we going to do damage control on this? This guy's just not fit. But they'd never say that in public. While professing optimism on Tuesday, Gropey Joe was careful to temper expectations. And he warned, we ain't getting this mess overnight. It's going to take months for us to get things around. We didn't get into this mess overnight. And it's going to take months for us to turn things around. He's making excuses for his failures early on. And I think he's probably realizing, holy crap, Donald Trump was taking care of business. And I'm sitting here making these promises, making all these predictions, and I 
I, holy crap, I can't do it because the situation won't allow it. It wasn't Trump and it isn't me. Of course, Gropey Joe is learning early on in his presidency that there's a political hazard inherent in setting timelines and making predictions about pernicious and unpredictable pandemics, especially in the middle of a race between mass deployment of vaccines and the mutations of the virus that could challenge the effectiveness of such vaccines. In Biden's pledge, it follows criticism of his promise of 100 million vaccine doses in his first 100 days being insufficiently ambitious. That pledge is also dependent on factors beyond Gropey Joe's control, just like they were dependent on factors beyond Donald Trump's control. But you see, the media will say Donald Trump failed because of Donald Trump. And they will say that Gropey Joe hasn't failed, but that the lingering effect of Donald Trump has failed Gropey Joe. It's all in the way you spin it, folks. Experience has shown that having a vaccine available does not mean it's being administered. Experience, even back to Donald Trump's days. The White House argues that its more aggressive strategy is a huge improvement over Trump's hands-off approach that left the states to fix issues on their own. Hey, Gropey Joe, I want you to read the name of our country out loud. United States of America. United States of America. Of course, Joe Biden will be able to blame Donald Trump for each and every failure of his own administration because that's what the media will support. There are also manufacturing glitches, potential supply and transportation problems, logistical issues in states that could compromise the timeline of Gropey Joe and Camel Toe, which will hopefully come back to haunt the president. Then there is the issue of whether a sufficient number of Americans will get vaccinated in order for the country to reach herd immunity. Oh, that word's back in the news now, herd immunity. When it was spoken by Donald Trump, he was laughed at. He was called ignorant and uninformed and uneducated and stupid for using the term herd immunity. But now, because Gropey Joe's there, we're going to seek to get herd immunity. Ron Kiss-Ass Klain, the new White House Chief of Staff, tweeted on Tuesday, Day 7. We have found a way to secure vaccine supply adequate to provide a dose for every adult by summer. But that still leaves getting them all vaccinated, building the infrastructure, ending the hesitancy as challenges. Those challenges recall the previous capacity of the virus to outrace local and federal responses by government. Who could forget, for instance, Trump's vow that the pews would be full in the churches by Easter. The virus said nay-nay. And now Gropey Joe is making similar pronouncements that we will be ready, willing, and able to be done with this virus by the end of summer. There are, of course, long-term challenges to back up the president's promise to deploy science and not hide bad news. The CDC and other experts will relaunch briefings at the White House starting on Wednesday. Despite the president's daily admonitions that mask wearing could save tens of thousands of lives, the practice supposedly remains highly politicized in a nation where many conservatives believe 
evil conspiracy theories that Biden stole the election. So they're not going to listen to the mask mandates because conservatives are ignorant. Then there are those pesky new COVID-19 mutations, including those discovered in the UK and South Africa, and they threaten to reverse current and encouraging signs that at least the latest wave of the pandemic may have peaked across the nation and new infections are still highly elevated, but starting to fall. Should the number of cases continue to fall, governors, especially in Republican-run states, may prematurely reopen businesses at normal levels, which according to the Biden administration is a bad thing because it could trigger new waves of the disease before Biden's virus gambit can fully deliver. Do you hear those words, folks? They're utilizing the what-if scenario and blaming it on Republican-run states. I'll repeat that last paragraph again. Should numbers of cases continue to fall, governors, especially those in Republican-run states, may prematurely reopen businesses at normal levels and trigger new waves of the disease before Biden's virus gambit fully delivers. They've already set themselves up with an excuse to blame Republicans when Biden's plan fails. They want you to remain locked down. They need you to remain locked down. And even if you do, when things fail to improve, they can always fall back on blaming Donald J. Trump. We'll be right back. Steve Z and the Truth Hurts Program. And finally this morning, a New York Slimes article published by Lisa Friedman two hours ago says, In sweeping actions on climate, Biden to pause oil and gas leasing. He's already backpedaling. President Biden on Wednesday, today, will sign a package of executive orders elevating climate change at every level of the federal government, a move that the administration says will put the United States on a path to reducing its share of emissions that are warming the planet. Nut job alert. Taking the first significant steps towards one of Biden's most controversial campaign promises, his new orders will direct the Secretary of the Interior Department to, quote, pause on entering into new oil and natural gas leases on public lands and offshore waters to the extent possible while beginning a rigorous review of all existing fossil fuel leases and permitting practices, according to a fact sheet provided by the White House. Federal agencies will be ordered to eliminate fossil fuel subsidies and identify new opportunities to spur innovation, overhauling the tax breaks worth billions of dollars to the oil, coal, and gas industries, which help to pay the salaries of the millions of oil, gas, and coal employee workers' paychecks, to help pay for Biden's $2 trillion climate change plan, which was also a major campaign promise. Both plans are expected to face strong opposition in Congress. Those goals and orders set broad new foreign policy goals as well. They will formalize the role of former Secretary of State John Kerry as the new international envoy on climate change with a seat on the National Security Council. John Kerry is going to be on the National Security Council. God help us all. 
Oil and gas industry leaders signaled that many of Biden's plans would face steep opposition. He is going to ruin the entire lifeblood of our nation's economy. Unbelievable. In his campaign, Gropey Joe has set out goals of eliminating fossil fuel emissions from the electricity sector by 2035 and putting the U.S. on a path towards net zero emissions before 2050. And guess what, boys and girls? You and I get to pay for it. His plan calls for spending $2 trillion over the next four years. A very tall order in a narrowly divided Congress. The same guy who questioned all of Donald Trump's executive orders and said he should not be using the pen but the Congress to get things done, Biden has signed more executive orders in his first week in office than Trump did during four years in the White House. In addition, he has formalized the White House Office of Domestic Climate Policy to be led by Gina McCarthy, who previously served as EPA Administrator under Barack Hussein Obama. Biden intends to establish a national climate task force that will include leaders from 21 federal agencies and create a White House Environmental Justice Interagency Council and a separate advisory council to prioritize the understanding of damage that pollution does in poor and minority communities. Here we go. Got to pander that race card. Make sure you make the AA 13% hyphenated American crowd happy, Gropey Joe. They helped put you in office, along with voting irregularities and all that other stuff that we know to be true. But it is what it is. And that's the truth, boys and girls. You are listening to Steve C. and the Truth Hurts Program. That's going to do it for this morning's edition of the Truth Hurts Program. I hope you all go out there and make it a fantastic day. It is Wednesday. We're over the hump. Bike night and oysters on the half shell for yours truly this evening, weather permitting. Cool front moved through the area, so the highs today will not get out of the 60s. And that's the kind of mild winter that brings for many mosquitoes in the coming spring and summer months. But it also brings excellent opportunity for the seafood industry, especially crawfish. And that makes yours truly very, very happy. Go out there and make it a great day, everybody. We'll see you on the next program. Thank you for listening to The Truth Hurts with Steve Z. We look forward to our next visit. Opinions expressed here are protected free speech under the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. We apologize if you were offended, but we retract nothing. Background music credits to Jason Shaw and Audionautics. This program was produced at Studio 63, copyright 2021, all rights reserved. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.